Last week in London, I stood outside the house I used to live in. It is now looking neglected, peeling paintwork, garden overgrown with ivy and weeds, litter blown into a pile around the doorstep. It hardly resembles the home it once was more than five years ago. This house is significant for more than having been home for eight years because two of my children were born there. I remember standing in the bedroom, rotating my hips like a belly dancer in the first stages of labour. I remember focusing on a photograph of the Skellig rocks while I was having a contraction, imagining going up one side of the rock as the pain intensified and coming down the other side as the pain lessened. I remember the intense pain, but I also remember how I breathed through it and entered a deep state of consciousness, focusing within, fiercely aware. I remember my husband massaging my back, my sister feeding me ice cubes, a friend breathing with me, the midwife sitting back, waiting with words of encouragement until the delivery was imminent. I remember the excitement of the birth and friends calling with champagne and later just going up to bed, my own bed with my little new baby in my arms. I was never made to feel that by choosing a home birth I would be putting my own life or my baby's life at risk. I was told that the unforeseen could happen but that I wasn't far from a hospital and there wasn't likely to be any problem. I had a GP who agreed to take responsibility and there were a team of community midwives, one of whom would be on duty when I went into labour. It was simply an option available to anyone as part of the National Health Service in Britain. In the 50s, when I started doing domiciliary midwifery, people had no money, no, not people were idle. What little they had, they spread between each other. It wasn't a taxi they were looking for to go to hospital, I can assure you, because they wouldn't have had the price of it. But first babies were always the hardest, the most tedious. And um, were it not for the neighbours who came... I don't know how the houses kept count of the neighbours that came in. There'd be mother-in-laws, mothers, sisters. There'd be the midwife of the district, the old midwife. It was absolutely crazy, the number of people and the number of cups of tea that were made in the house. They were great, too. They'd call you in and you'd have a look and examine your patient and say, well, I've no business being here now. There's nothing happening. She's in the first stages of labour. And it's amazing the way the women took over because they, they all knew you can't stand all night on your feet and all day after that. So they were prepared to watch things. And mostly they were experienced people. They, the maternal mortality rate was poor enough. It had started to get better, but it was poor in poor areas where food wasn't a, a, 
very selective the fellas they eat what they could eat which is basically potatoes and bread and butter and tea they were very slow on vitamins or iron and the, but the infant mortality rate was bad too mainly because of the mother not being healthy the baby hadn't sufficient remember at the time we didn't have medical cards and all sorts of things they're a new inception and they're, they're flaming marvellous in many ways. But the doctors of that time considered the midwives practitioners in their own right, which they are and are still, as far as I know. But we don't, a lot of people don't take that responsibility of being a practitioner. Or they're afraid of facing it. We've been told yarns about safe deliveries in hospital, much safer than at home, which has proved completely negative. They've just learned more about having babies. Maybe the Eastern Health Board has a lot to do with just bringing them into hospitals because finance. Finance comes into it, particularly certain hospitals in Dublin actually said having babies at home was highly dangerous. They frightened the daylights out of people. And when you look at young women today, they're afraid to have a baby. They're afraid to have it at home. And I often wonder why the big mystery. And the only reason I put it down to all this fear is the hospitals. You must go to hospital to have your baby. Nobody can do it right at home. You're brought in to an infection unit in my book because there's no hospital without its infections. We can't all cope with them. Now, in my day, we had a great thing going, which was absolutely fantastic. We had real emergency services for mothers that got into trouble. You had midwife first, she plies a practitioner, and one who knew where she was going and what she was doing. You had a, a sixth sense anyway. Um, you had your doctor to call on. And you had the hospital to call on. There was always the flying squad to come to your assistance or to take your patient in for you if the troubles arose. And as we all know, the way ambulances drive, they don't take too long to drive to get around. So, very few of us die in ten, in 10 minutes. So, if we had a kind of a service going as we had, we could smarten it up a bit properly. We could have better links. But I found that the service was terrific as we had. And it was a darn sight better having your baby at home than having it in a taxi or an ambulance going into a hospital. And I still think that if we had a decent service to cost the state less, people would be better taken care of. But the one thing I was always hated was the coldness of the hospital, the messing of the hospital. The mother wants to, it's like any other animal or bird or anything else, you want to make a nest. And most people prefer to have their babies in their own nest. 
That's their home. There's no continuation as far as I can see from others now. Nothing is written down for them. They send them home to try and breastfeed. Some will succeed. Some will lead a life of hell trying to get it started. And there's literally nobody to supervise them, nobody to tell them where they're going wrong, or nobody to tell them even when there's an infection. You're just told, this you do, let your baby feed it. That's it, be it right or wrong, I don't know. I don't agree with this business of hospital care, making mothers into sick people. It is, it's sick to be trying to make people think they're sick. It's my view of, of it anyway. I started midwifery, I first started midwifery in 1972 and I did part one midwifery. At that time midwifery was part one and part and part one and part two and I, I did part one but I hated it. I couldn't deal with it at all. And it was really only when my, my own daughter was born in 1980 and it was a very traumatic experience for me giving birth to her. And I was, I was very ill afterwards, and it took me an awful long time to recover from it, that I felt that I wanted, I wanted to go back to midwifery. And I think, in a way, I wanted other women to have a better experience than I had. I think, I think, that, I think that was a, a, a driving force behind me personally. So I, I, I started midwifery all over again. I went to Belfast, and... I trained then and worked there for a while in all different departments and then came back came back to Dublin in 1989 and um, and worked set up immediately as a home birth midwife well aligned myself to two uh, midwives and you're getting getting some training because it's very very different working in a hospital and working in the home situation because where you literally have to learn to sit back and to do nothing. I think the the main thing about a hospital or a hospital versus home, and I I don't even like to call it that really, because a home a hospital birth is is fine if that's what you choose, because really it's all to do with choice. If somebody has um, has has a baby in hospital and they have a very pleasant experience from it, that's grand and they're happy with the medicalisation of childbirth that's fine if they if they feel that they need their epidurals or whatever, you know, once they're making an informed decision, that's okay but unfortunately in this country there seems to be no choice between a highly medicalised birth and a home birth and I think that is a, that's an important issue. That I would actually deliver uh, um, a fair number of women that if there were a so-called birthing centre, they quite possibly might be happy to, be, to deliver there knowing that down the end of a corridor there is a theatre or there is all this equipment. But there's no, there's no happy medium. 
And so I feel that, you know, because because of choice, this where this is where the home birth is is important as well. I would only take on what I would consider low risk women. I wouldn't take on somebody that that had a very bad history where I think that she could be putting herself and her baby at risk. I weigh it all up and on at that level I, I'll decide and she'll decide. She's making an informed choice about it. I do explain to women that there are situations that can arise and that they, they, there might or there might not be a live baby at the end of it. Unfortunately that happens but I take as much precautions as I can to try and anticipate it. And, well, I'm lucky. I've, I've never had any problem that I haven't been able to deal with. I carry emergency drugs that can deal with a woman who's, who's having a hemorrhage. I would carry resuscitation equipment if, if, the, if the baby's having difficulty breathing. And... Also, wherever I deliver, I would have reasonable access to ambulance services. Some places are obviously better than others, but again, I've never had to. I've never had an emergency that I haven't been able to deal with. At home, I've delivered one hundred and four now. I don't do. I don't work full time as a midwife because I teach as well. But I, I, w- I could, it w- could be, I'm sure, 404. The demand is there. I unfortunately have to turn down people all the time because I really only do a, a, about one a month. In the way that people are different, births are also different. And each one that I come away from, I feel that that, that, was, that was absolutely unique. But I, I, remember, I remember one this year and it was a woman uh, it was her first baby and like most first time labours it was long and it was pretty tough but she was she was a marvellous person she really was but then it went on all night and at about 8 o'clock in the morning we were all tired and we needed new energy in the in the house and I just, she was in her bedroom for, for all of the night. And I just said, said yeah, come, come out now of your bedroom. Mom, we have to get this baby born. I want this baby born in an hour. I said, listen, I said, we're all exhausted. So I said, let's go into the other room. And I said, put on, put on some music, get some lively music going. And we'll, you know, get this baby out. So she put on this tape and it was, it was, it was Argentinian and it was like a, a real dancing music, really lively, uh, people playing all kinds of instruments. So she just danced around the room, and we were all marching around the, around the place. And um, the baby was born at nine o'clock. It was, it was marvellous. She stopped, obviously, when she got a contraction. But in between contractions, she danced around, around the sitting room. It was fabulous, yes, that was, that was lovely. I love animals in the vicinity as well. 
And I remember there was one, there was one couple and their, their dog, they, the dog was in an awful state with a woman in labour. Again, it was her first baby and he was very distressed by her distress. And again, she had a long labour and he wouldn't eat nothing and he just stayed, stayed in a corner, wouldn't move at all wouldn't, and wouldn't get out, didn't, just had to be, you know, in the house. And as soon as the baby was born, he came over, smelt the baby, and then went off and ate his dinner. He was happy then. Another one who was her, her, her first baby was born on Christmas Eve. And again, it was, it was a slow labour. There was just myself and a friend, a friend of hers there. So it was three women in the in the room and we took it in turns like massaging her with with olive oil which was which was what she wanted her muscles were very very sore and she had a lot of back pain but the baby was born in the bathroom and just before the baby was born the snow fell and it was this beautiful picture it was just it, it was getting dark with the snow falling and we had candles in the in the bathroom uh, when the, when the baby was born and it was it, it was particularly poignant on the, the the next day which was christmas day when i came up to do a postnatal visit and going into this cottage up in the mountains to this to a new baby it really it was like the nativity a real life nativity and i took my god my godson with me who was, I think, about three or four at the time. And he was absolutely amazed. You know, the snow, the place that day was full of snow. And just seeing this baby that had just been born the day before. And the, the woman's father was there. And he was a, you know, well-seasoned grandfather. But it was the first time he had seen any baby or any of his grandchildren so soon after they were born. And he was sitting in an armchair in the corner of the sitting room. And he just felt, this is the way it should be done. He just felt the naturalness of the whole thing. My first baby was born, Roisin was born, in one of our large Dublin maternity hospitals. Um, going in to the, into labour, I was actually induced um, at 38 weeks. It was decided my blood pressure was too high. And I was brought in, uh, the water was broken, which was really the most painful experience of my whole life. It was certainly more painful than giving birth. Um, and I was hooked up to a drip. Um, monitor around my tummy um, fetal monitor on the on the baby's head and really I was totally disempowered, I was just I could do nothing, I was not a participant in this labour or this birth at all um, I was just lying there, I couldn't move then I was told I'd have to stay on one side I couldn't help this baby out I couldn't use gravity, I 
there was absolutely nothing I could do. And I totally gave up, absolutely. And I took an epidural. And that just was the, the, the end, you know. I mean, I had absolutely, there was nothing I could do. And uh, I certainly did, I, I don't feel I delivered her. She was delivered by the obstetrician. And of course, you know, I was given the little glimpse and then taken away. And then I got her back then for a short period of time and then taken away that night. And that just started a most horrific phase in my life. I think the most difficult phase that I have ever gone through. Uh, she was a small baby. She was only five, five. And I had to fight to actually have her with me so I could feed her every time she opened her eyes. Uh, that wasn't possible. And as a result, she went into special care and uh, it, was, it, was just, it was just disastrous. <laughs> the whole experience was disastrous. Um, that prompted difficulties with feeding. Um, we, you know, bottles were given. We, you know, I, basically I didn't know anything. I was just the mother, you know, they were the experts. After the first hospital experience, um, I went on to have four beautiful <laughs> home births. Uh, I think the home birth, having a home birth for me um, has really been the most empowering, liberating experience of my whole life. It has had such an influence on my parenting. Um, my whole attitude to life, birth, death, everything, I think, has been influenced by the home birth. Um, the care, the loving care and attention given by our midwives. Um, it's just, I, I feel it's just unbelievable. I think somebody who hasn't had a hospital birth can't really appreciate what the home birth is like and how different it is to a hospital experience. Because I, my second birth, which was my first home birth, I remember lying in bed afterwards, um, having Claude beside me, having given birth to her downstairs, um, gone upstairs to have my bath and with her and got back, got into bed, my own bed, you know. Uh, my baby there beside me. I contrasted to the hospital experience where really the baby wasn't mine. You know, she be belonged. It was like she belonged to the hospital. I know that if I have had to go into hospital for any of my other births, I would have had to have had pain relief. I couldn't have done it in the hospital setting. Um, I couldn't do it without being in control of the labour, being able to move around, use gravity to help the baby out. Um, you know, stand, kneel, sit, squat, whatever. Um, I know I couldn't do it and I would possibly, if I was in, you know, with another pregnancy and had to go to hospital, I'm sure I probably would. I, I know I would have some form of pain relief. Um, I feel that at home, I mean, it's a medically known fact that um, endorphins are inhibited by um, anxiety. You know, the, the natural body's painkiller endorphins are inhibited. first baby was born in the coom. I had a difficult labour and being a midwife myself I would have thought that it was a lot of the intervention would have caused the slowness of my delivery and um, I promised myself if I ever had another baby that I would go the home birth route. There was absolutely no comparison at all. I was 
I was delighted with the experience that I had in every way through my antenatal experience, through the delivery and through being able to be here with my son and his life to be exactly the same as it was that he went off to school in the morning and his baby sister was here when he came home from school. So his life wasn't changed at all. That was the part probably that, you know, made me feel the best. From a personal experience, I would say, well, you have a crutch there, you'll automatically use it. Now, through my whole pregnancy, I read books about alternative methods of pain relief and, you know, my breathing, which possibly I knew about the first time, but I wouldn't have been as quick to use it because I knew the epidural was at my fingertips when I needed it. But I would have found um, that to lie down is the most antiquated way that a baby can be born. And I found when I was able to stand up and breathe through my pains and massage my tummy or somebody to rub my back or whatever that to get through the pains was to it was totally different than you know the previous time so I would say you can you can build yourself up and you can you know train your mind and decide if this is what you want to do you don't really need pain relief if I hadn't been strong-willed enough to decide this is what I wanted to do my mind would definitely have been changed because I mean, the majority of people thought I was totally off the head to decide to do this, that I was putting my child and myself at risk. But, I mean, I explained to them, but, I mean, it didn't really make any difference. They thought I was very foolish. When I was starting my career as an antenatal teacher, teaching yoga for pregnancy and teaching women about the different choices they could make in childbirth, my midwife actually said to me that the only thing I really needed to impart to the women was confidence in their own ability to give birth. And she said, really, that's all you needed to do. And um, I would certainly go along with her there. I think that is largely what I seek to do when I give information to women about how their bodies work naturally without all the interventions being used. Where I'm coming from is the wish to give them this confidence in their own ability to give birth. Because I do think that um, it makes a huge difference to a woman if she feels confident. Women who have given birth more naturally, whether at home or in hospital, feel a great sense of achievement and they feel so powerful that they feel they could do anything. And that's a wonderful way to begin motherhood. And they, they have a very... Usually, if the birth isn't interfered with, it's easier for the mother to bond with the baby as well, so the baby gets off to a much better start as well. So when a woman's giving birth, um, there are all sorts of influences that affect the way that birth is going to go, and I've made it my business to delve quite deeply into what these influences are. Through my work as a rebirther, I've um, uncovered some of the this kinds of patterns and scenarios that can be left over as a result of the woman's own birth experience. That's functioning on a very deep unconscious level. But there are also all sorts of other influences, such as the state of her finances and the way she relates to her partner and um, what her cultural expectations might be of what it's like to give birth, what her family's expectations might be, how her mother experienced giving birth. And then there's also the very unique situation 
in uh, how her baby's energy and her energy interact together. You know, the, the dance of their relationship has already started when the baby's in the womb and the birth is part of that growing relationship. And all of these influences kind of come together like a vortex at the moment of the birth. And, I mean, who's to say which influence is responsible for which part of the birth going in this particular way? It's all quite complex, but I am absolutely certain that when a woman feels really safe and well-supported and has um, a really good, trusting relationship with all the people who are with her, that it's going to be much, much easier for her body to open up, that she won't feel any need to hold back. Some of these reasons why a woman might be unconsciously holding back and her body might not be opening as smoothly and easily as it could do are unconscious and there's nobody to blame for them. And really, if you look at birth in that particular way, it doesn't really matter where it takes place. It's perfectly easy to set up the, the very trusting relationship between the mother and the midwife in a hospital setting. It doesn't have to be exclusive to a home setting. But in this country at the moment, it is definitely true that a woman has much more choice as to how she gives birth if she does it at home. The very early stage before the midwife arrived, um, I took a tip from this Janet Belasquez book um, that you sing, because when you release sound, apparently, you don't have to sing, you can just make any sort of ooh, ah, noises. When you release sound, you release endorphins, apparently, and this are natural painkillers. And the, But that was all right for the first maybe hour, two hours, almost until I was fully dilated, I'd say, and I got in and out of the shower. And uh, my husband was here and I was kind of holding him a lot of the time. And that was fine. Um, and then once once I was fully dilated and the waters broke, I didn't feel like singing anymore. It was <laughs> started getting very, um, you know, very uh, almost out of control. There's a kind of stage of panic then. You, you, um, you go through a transition stage. And uh, it was very long before her head appeared, but then her head seemed to get get stuck. I couldn't get her out. The midwife was able to tell me how to move, how to turn um, and how to push. I was upright and I was squatting at different stages or, or standing upright and leaning forward or um, leaning forward in a squatting position, leaning backward in a squatting position and, and the midwife was able to tell me where the baby's head was coming around this bend of surveys or something and she actually was it was like she you could see exactly where the baby was and what what way you needed to push and and just listening to her and just doing what she t said and feeling the progress was just incredible it was like the pain was was there but I wasn't focusing on the pain I was focusing on the fact that every little bit every minute every contraction was the baby was coming out further and further and then she was born. Nine pounds, twelve ounces of her. Well, Birth Tides was born uh, out of a commission from the Department of Health uh, here in Dublin. I was asked by them to do a study of women who had decided to have a home birth. And you know, I was given access to um, birth registration data indirectly so I was able to take a sample of all the babies born outside hospital over a five year period here in the Republic 
and 480 babies from that sample were followed up by public health nurses all over the country. So all the health boards were involved and uh, it depended on the cooperation of huge numbers of staff uh, everywhere, uh, right around the country. And eventually I got to interview uh, mothers who'd actually made this decision and had planned to have this particular baby at home. So one of the findings that came out of the research, which surprised me, was the fact that there were so many women who had had a baby at home, but not by choice, uh, that they had failed to make it on time to hospital. And uh, later, uh, when I came to write my book, Birth Tides, uh, I came to reflect that uh, even in Ireland, in a small country like Ireland, uh, that the policy of centralising birth in large hospitals uh, doesn't always work. And for women uh, on the periphery, if you like, for women in rural Ireland who live maybe two hours' drive from the nearest maternity hospital, it certainly doesn't meet their needs in their childbearing years. If a woman has a two-hour labour uh, in West Cork and she's got a two-hour drive uh, to the whatever is designated as her nearest hospital, which is in Cork City, then she has absolutely no chance of making it. And the solution uh, at present uh, is to opt for induction. Uh, this group of women um, contained a small number of women who were high risk. It contained a small number of women who had unattended births. Uh, they had no midwife, uh, no doctor, uh, no person skilled in childbirth with them, only their partners, because they couldn't get a service uh, from their local health board for the most part. And also um, some of these deliveries were done by general practitioners who hadn't done a delivery for years, uh, maybe public health nurses who were in uh, the same situation. So they weren't ideal. And nonetheless, the results were actually very encouraging. Uh, a very, very small number of women, I think it was 3% of women, had to go to hospital afterwards for third-stage complications. And again, uh, roughly the same number of babies had to go to hospital for things like anemia or jaundice. So the, the results were really as good as the best uh, of the, the best of studies uh, in, in the Netherlands. I'm thinking particularly of the Vermeer study, which is a particularly famous study of a midwife's practice in a northern suburb of Amsterdam, where the, the, the results from my study were actually identical with the results of that study, which is quite amazing. Well, the situation that exists in Holland is that a third of all births uh, continue to take place at home. Uh, the circumstances are very different uh, there because midwives uh, in Holland uh, can actually care uh, for women in hospital and can assume uh, complete charge of their case uh, in a way that uh, is impossible in Ireland. Midwives in Holland are uh, in a very different position uh, in terms of their professional development, I suppose, really. Uh, they, they have a longer training period, they have far greater autonomy and uh, they have they have their own patients basically uh, not unlike uh, family doctors here in Ireland and they are able to uh, take on uh, I don't like the word patient but they will take on uh, clients and they will then refer women if they need to be referred if they develop problems during pregnancy for example which uh, need uh, the attention of a consultant obstetrician then they will actually refer them on and if as the pregnancy continues, uh, they will they will then continue to monitor uh, that woman in her pregnancy. Uh, they will 
then uh, attend to her at home uh, for a home birth and alternatively uh, in hospital if that's what's decided at the end of the day. Well, the trouble with the hospital, of course, is that once you go into hospital, you're a patient by definition and patients aren't expected uh, particularly to know best when it comes to their own treatment. So there's a problem there of almost the entire culture. It's not that hospitals are bad or that they're bad places or that they're staffed by bad people or uncaring people. It's not that at all. What it is is that uh, there's a system uh, in in hospital and the, the system has a name. It's called obstetrics. And there simply isn't a place, as things stand at the moment, for alternative systems. And again, it gets back to a policy. And the policy that we have adopted in this country, and which was adopted 30 years ago, and which remains unchanged to the letter, is that all women must deliver their babies in consultant-run maternity units. And this idea of... uh, Consultants being in charge is an important one. Uh, they feel, obviously, uh, that uh, they can be sued, and litigation has become a big factor uh, here, as we know. So we have not just defensive medicine, we have defensive obstetrics, and we have several hospitals, at least three to my knowledge, with caesarean rates of 30%. People have often asked me why I wanted to work as a home birth midwife. And is it not easier to work in hospital? And yes, I could honestly say, sure, it's, in ways it's easier. And I certainly miss the camaraderie. I certainly miss working with other people because bearing in mind that with such a, so many years working first of all as a nurse and then as a midwife, that I've, I have always worked with people as part of a team. Whereas as a home birth midwife, I'm part of myself and that's it, there's no team. But one of the, the main things that really bothered me in working in hospital was what I felt was the fragmented care I was giving. That if I was working in the antenatal ward, I only saw women before they had their baby. If I was working in the labour ward, I only saw women who were about to give birth. And the same way on a postnatal ward or the or outpatients. So there was, if there was no continuity of care. I wanted to give complete care to women. I wanted to look after them all during their, their pregnancy. And that, that is not something that I was, able, I was able to do here. I also felt as well that sometimes in the labour ward, I used to see women leaving the labour ward and really it was, they were in such a state of shock, it was like as if they'd been in a road traffic accident that the labour was speeded up so fast that it was too much for them, not to mention too, being too much for, for the babies as well. So I, I knew that the, because there's no happy medium here, it was, it was something that I've always felt strongly about and I didn't actually realise until I actually was a qualified midwife that my grandmother was a home birth midwife and her mother before her. And I didn't know that until I, I I was one.